2022 was a year of many things. Good, bad, testing, and eventful. Now, as we gear up towards the new year, that is 2023, what better time is there than now, in December, the month of Christmas and giving and reflection, to try and dissect the series finale, that is 2022. Well, it's been a while, but welcome back to the next episode, episode two of To Be Confirmed. Hey, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, or whenever this finds you. I'm your host, Chantal Senya, and thank you for joining me on another episode of To Be Confirmed, the latest, hottest podcast series, which seeks to answer society's larger questions about race and racism, because often the answer to these questions remain, well, to be confirmed. Tune in, listen, and prepare to be inspired, provoked, and moved as we dive into another episode of To Be Confirmed. Now, it'd be very wrong of me to not say thank you um, for the support. It has been a while since you've seen my face. It has been a while since you've heard my voice. But I want to say a big, huge thank you to everyone who has either watched, shared, streamed, listened to uh, To Be Confirmed with Kalechi and I. Um, again, I have said this on various platforms, but this podcast means the absolute world to me. Um, and to bring this vision to life in such a short space of time and to have it re- be received so um, greatly is is really touching um, and I, I believe really speaks to the lengths that this podcast can really can really touch um, but yeah with saying that um, I wanted to share some you know insights with you so Spotify Wraps came out a couple of weeks ago um, I am proud to announce um, that to be confirmed has hit 13 countries we're not just in the UK we are international baby our top five countries that we have um, you know uh landed in have been the UK, the US, Spain, South Africa and France. So to my international listeners, thank you so much for joining the journey. Now to be confirmed is part of Spotify's top 25 most shared globally. Um, A wonderful 87 of you have the podcast in your top 10. Um, A wonderful 46 of you have the podcast in your top five. And a very special eight people have to be confirmed as your number one podcast on Spotify in 2022, which I think, again, absolutely insane, incredible, and I'm grateful for you. Um, Apple Podcasts, we've got 97 uh, followers and subscribers. Our ratings are at five stars. TikTok, Instagram, the platforms have grown to over 1k followers per platform. YouTube, we've hit again 1.2k across both videos and both parts. And at one point, our podcast the podcast um, was ranked at number 269 in South Africa's society and culture on Apple uh, podcast. So again, huge thank you. Um, but more so, I do want to give a huge and special shout out to um, my friends and people that again, really supported me and, and helped me get this vision off the ground um, when we began in, in August. Um Without them, I don't think the podcast would be here today. Um, without their encouragement, I don't think, um, yeah, the restless nights, the prayers, again, thank you so much. So to Himai, 
Tori, Zawase, Ali, Francesco and Kalechi. I just have a huge thank you. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Um, I will tag all of their respective pages below. Please support all of their causes, all of their work. They are all incredible individuals. And again, just I have, yeah, I'm so grateful to each and every one of you. Over the last few months, again, with your um, countless support, there have been many things that have cropped up with the podcast. But I wanted to draw specific attention um, to an anonymous story. Um, which um, was shared with me in the aftermath um, of uh, the clip, uh, which you will see in part, I believe, part two, um, of To Be Confirmed, where Kalechi shares um, her lived experience with a, a midwife called Clemmie Hooper. Now, that clip went viral on social media platforms and, of course, prompted a plethora of midwives, mothers, um, viewers, um, and myself alike to either learn of or um, share their own experiences with Clemmie Hooper. And with relation to the um, anonymous story that was shared, um, for new listeners running in, there was an anonymous st uh, story shared where um, an individual had shared that Clemmy Hooper, as of today, present day, 2022, um, has not been uh, held to account for um, her actions in, in midwifery. She's not been held to account for abusive behaviour um, and is still a practising midwife. Um, in sharing that information, they were harassed, um, bullied, uh, bullied to an extent where their job security was also questioned. Now, in that segment, I also called called upon yourselves, um, listeners on the platform, to write to the NMC. Now, again, as of now, um, with specific uh, focus on King's College Hospital Trust and the NMC, there is no pending investigation that has been outlined. And again, I want to really remind people that the reason why um, the story of Clemmie Hooper came about and the reason why I pushed this anonymous story out was to highlight the intersect between race and healthcare, but more specifically race and midwifery, especially as with midwifery, women are coming, women, people who can um, have children are coming to healthcare professionals with that level of trust and vulnerability to expect a level of care, which was not shown in Clemmie um, Hooper's actions. And you know, an example of this, which I, again, want to draw another highlight to, is in the story of Nicole Thea um, and um, her son, Rain. Now, in 2020, um, YouTuber Nicole Thea um, uh, died at eight months pregnant in 2020, despite sharing health concerns um, of a cardiac arrest and also a delayed ambulance response, um, despite having a pre-existing heart condition called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Oh, that is a tongue twister. Hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Now, this death, the death of Nicole Thea, I remember this so vividly, um, was a death that was preventable. And the family currently, as we speak, are uh, going into an inquest to seek accountability in her death. Now, to follow this movement, I would strongly suggest following Nicole Theo Rain for updates. Again, links will be uh, listed below um, and also peaceful protests um, that they are organising, but also following the hashtag justice for Nicole and Rain. Now, why have, I why have I now inserted the story of Nicole Thea in this? Again, another expecting mother who had trust in the healthcare system to support her and her health needs, which were neglected. Every time that Clemmie Hooper practices as a midwife, another mother is at risk of being another statistic of, of fatality. Again, in calling for accountability, we're calling for the removal of Clemmie Hooper's pin, but also to ensure that healthcare professionals and institutions such as King's College Hospital Trust, again, 
King's College Hospital Trust and the NMC understand that their behaviour and their complicity in protecting Clemmie Hooper is not okay. Um, so again, I hope that clarifies things a little bit more, but please follow um, Nicole Theorain. Um, that's the family page that has all the information there. I'll link that below so you can keep up to date in regards to the inquest um, uh, information as well. Okay, okay. So the big elephant in the room. Where have I been? I know it's been it's been four months. It's been a very long time. Um, but yes, with that being said, I've been blessed. I've been sick. I've been busy with work and just navigating 2022. Um, but I am grateful to see the year, the end of this year, for many many reasons. It has been a, a testing year, um, and also um, I'm blessed to be able to share that and and talk about my reflections with you. The question that we'll be looking at in today's podcast episode is, put simply, where do we go from here? In other terms, have we learned anything about race and racism and its role in structural society in 2022 as 2023 approaches? Now, racism, as ever this year, has dominated conversation, has inspired hate crimes, and has empowered battalions of people hidden behind England flag emojis who claim to know real names, ready and willing to defend the valour of people who wouldn't look at you if you were off camera. Now, there's a lot that I want to dive in today. If there's anything, and I probably will miss some things in terms of highlights because I will be going through what I see as the significant turning points of 2022. So if there's anything that has shocked you that I've missed, please drop it in the conversation, in the conversation, please drop it, have conversations, drop it in the comments section below and I'd love to, to hear your thoughts. 2022, where do we begin? So this won't be in chronological order. I tried to list it in order as I was writing this, but as we all know, 2022 has been a big old mess. So um, bear with me, go with the flow. So 2022 opened with the aftermath of Partygate. Now, for those that are abroad, Partygate is essentially a scandal that involved the current UK government, where they were found of having parties during lockdown and COVID-19 protocols, which saw it illegal to mix households. In some instances, rain, uh, regions across the UK were put under specific lockdowns, meaning that one could not leave a city. For example, London was locked down. Um, I remember being stranded um, in London wasn't fun, um, but we digress. Now, Partygate, as that came about, saw the government avoiding accountability and avoiding blame. Um, and for those who remember back um, in the UK, you may have noticed, uh, if you remember, you know Allegra Stratton, where she's doing the press, the uh, the press conference, uh, like meeting, and she's rehearsing, saying there wasn't a party, there was a party, some rubbish around that. Um, that, of course, led, led to public um, outcry. Um, and of course, the police were forced into investigating. And I put investigating in quotation marks for this very reason, um, the Conservative Party. Now, the aftermath opened with the announcement that the Conservative Party would be, senior members of the Conservative Party would be fined £50 for their involvement in Partygate. Again, to date, uh, the Conservative Party have not really taken full responsibility for said um, actions. And with regard to the police, um, they share that there was no re retrospective evidence in regards to investigating, charging, and possibly giving... Um, that was it, yeah, charging um, uh, these individuals um, for their crimes. Again, the, the I guess, the, 
the way that 2022 opened with this news showed us that privilege, but in res- in respect to our government, in respect to the UK's handling or understanding of accountability, was that institutions, both government and judicial, are, re- are willing and ready to cooperate if that means that questions go unanswered if that means that families who weren't able to see their loved ones families who weren't able to say final goodbyes families who weren't able to you know spend last christmases together um uh you know are are left with unanswered questions and that's absolutely fine because that's you know um yeah it just showed great great negligence swiftly after partygate 2022 left no room for prisoners as we saw the escalation of the ukrainian and russia conflict hit an absolute climax The world saw Russia invade Ukraine and declare war on a country that, quite frankly, was unprepared for war, was unprepared. Um, Yeah, unprepared for the conflict that was to ensue. And to this day, there has not been a resolution of conflict with threats made by the Russian government to um, uh, Ukrainian allies, such as the US, um, the UK and other NATO member countries. This, well, this is ongoing. The Ukrainian conflict has seen many, many deaths, many, many displacements and the destroyed cities that once stood earlier this year. Now, I want to draw specific um, highlight to the maltreatment of the African students and citizens who fled, who were trying to flee Ukraine at the height of this war. Now, the maltreatment of African stu- students saw um, border control um, ordering citizens off of transport, leaving some people stranded for days without food, shelter and transport links as the world rallied around to support Ukrainians. There were many accusations given towards border force um, or accusations of violence, sorry, by border force, where we saw, where we heard of many Indian, Egyptian, African, and other non-white ethnicities and their accounts of trying to flee the country. However, when called and referenced to the leader of Ukraine, there was no mention of accountability or apology for the way that non-white people were treated in the Ukraine at this time. Now, news coverage at this time also was quite prolific and quite profound in the way that whiteness was used as a weapon to identify compassion, but also as a way to identify, um, you know, innocence. And I'm going to really, I'm going to read out part of a quote that was given by CBS news reporter Charlie Degata, who says um, in one of his news coverages in regards to the conflict, this isn't a place like Afghanistan. This is relatively civilized, relatively European city. I have to choose these words carefully where you wouldn't expect that. Now, I would love to hear what your observations are in regards to that. But to me, the observations immediately, I have to choose these words carefully. Those words were reckless. They were reckless. They were careless. To identify another nation which has undergone conflict conflict through invasion which was which has been completely unnecessary and is still um reap the consequences of said um invasion in afghanistan to this present day to liken innocence to civilization to not even that to liken whiteness to civilization to liken whiteness as a measure of um treatment of an individual more so again the citizens that were trying to flee the country is unacceptable 
again, this also speaks to the threshold and the proximity to violence um, that black people, brown people, Asian people, people of colour are expected to adhere to. The question that I would ask to Charlie Degata would be, where do you expect to see conflict? If you wouldn't expect to see conflict and war and deprivation and the isolation of black people and brown people, where else would you expect to see that? Furthermore, this was only one example of the way that news outlets reported the uh, conflict in Ukraine, with BBC News citing blonde hair interviews, in fact, where people would talk about blonde hairs and blue eyes and, um, you know, uh, features which have been revered specifically in white supremacist ideology, again, as a way to garner sympathy. And that, for me, was where, for the first time, selective compassion came about. Now, following on from news coverage, another thing that came up for me was the Homes for Ukraine initiative. Remember that? Now, in the UK, uh, the government opened an initiative where British people could open up their homes to refugees and asylum seekers for a small payment fee, as long as they offered shelter and food and warmth, an environment different to what they were used to with the current conflict back home. Now, for me, this was really significant. Because currently, where we see the migrant crisis at an all-time high, where we see anti-immigration rhetoric spread by our Home Secretary, it was particularly profound to see that, again, with white refugees, the UK was willing to open their doors, willing to open their resources, and pay people to do the bare basic minimum, which is to look after and provide shelter, human rights even, to people that were in need and asylum seekers. Now, however, in contrast to that, we have flights to Rwanda. We have no money for Grenfell. This week, we hit the fifth anniversary of Grenfell. There was no money. There's been no money given into the, the victims' families. There's been no money in regards to accommodation, no money in regards to um, supporting um, people. But again, we had the money. Selective Compassion had the money for refugees. Now, furthering on from that, with this with this whole debate, it, it led me to think about... Um, uh, 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 let me to think about an, uh, an interaction um, or a, uh, what's the word, a committee meeting between um, Home Affairs Committee Tim Lawton and Swella Braverman, where we see Tim Lawton ask Swella Braverman, the Home Secretary, about legal routes for migrants. How can migrants enter the country legally if people who are fleeing their homes for help are, are, are quote unquote illegal? The role play situation that Tim Lawton proposed to Swella Braverman was of a, uh, a young um, African child who had a sibling in the UK, um, uh, but had crossed the channel as a last resort. Now, Braverman, the daughter of an immigrant, had no concrete answer, therefore confirming that there was no, there was no other legal um, way or support for asylum seekers to enter the UK if they have come through the UK channel. Again, so many thoughts and layers to this, which again show me and show us that our government, well, in 2022 especially, have neglected the rights and the livelihoods of non-white people especially. Now, again, another layer to this was that with the Homes for Ukraine's initiative, there was a study, um, again, all the links will be linked down below, but studies shared on predatory men who accepted female asylum seekers. In some instances, some men... Over 30% of male sponsors um, were men over 40, some of which had domestic violence and um, uh, domestic abuse and violence records um, against them. With councils listing a lack of safeguarding checks, neglect 
and neglect in protecting the women as highlighted by um, UN um, refugee factions. Now with this, the predatory men that had done this had offered their homes in exchange for sex. Speechless. <laughs> Why? In the rise of inceldom, in a, in a society where now men in response to calls for accountability and you're going to hear me say the word accountability continuously through this podcast episode but in in calls for continuous accountability in calls for continuous um what's the word awareness of themselves and the threat that they can pose to women why would you again take advantage of an individual that is vulnerable doesn't that perpetuate rape culture it, it doesn't make sense to me but again another layer into the i'm gonna say layer per pound in for every time you hear the word layer but another layer which i found quite i guess i don't know i guess i've said the words already quite profound and quite um yeah quite predatory to to know and understand that where legal safeguarding and legal obligations could have been fulfilled and and done and completed in the right amount of time to properly and adequately support um, these refugees who are fleeing from a war-torn um, nation, that it's resorted to another instance where men can exert gender-based violence against women. Now, moving on from the conflict of Ukraine and the many things that came out from that and the many uh, topics and themes through that conflict, we go into March, where the news of Child Q broke. Now, in March, um, in March 2022, news had broke that in 2020, an unnamed child named Child Q, a 15-year-old black girl at the time, was strip-searched. She was strip-searched during her exam period because she was, she was suspected of smelling like cannabis. There were no adults present, no parents were informed, and the officers had also checked her garment. Now, this traumatic ordeal... Oh, and she was sent back to examination straight after. This traumatic ordeal had led Child Q... Trigger warning here. Um, had led Child Q to um, have suicidal thoughts and ideations, to self-harm, and to also... Yeah, and to self-harm um, as a cry for help. Since news broke, demonstrations across the UK had taken place, with demonstrations in the school that Child Q... Um, was assaulted and I'm not going to name the school for safeguarding reasons um, had taken place there now this saw the head teacher who was also head teacher at the time of child Q's um, uh, trauma um, was fired now in this debacle again the issue um, the issue that was the Metropolitan Police's use of force and abuse of power here highlighted a, a major significant issue now, in August 2022, knowledge had shared or knowledge became public that between 2018 and 2020, over 650 children were strip searched, which averaged to a rate of nearly one a day in 2020, child Q being one of them. In some cases, the children were as young as 10 years old and a quarter of these children searched were aged 15 or under. Between 2021 and 2022, a record three thousand children were strip searched by the police again through both studies we see that the disproportionate people that were affected were black people but black boys were disproportionately searched 
Now, with this whole debacle, I am continuously wishing, as Child Q is, I believe, um, news had broke that uh, their family were in the process of suing the Metropolitan Police, that I've not seen any public information in regards to the outcome of that process. But I'm wishing healing in the case of Child Q. But I'm also praying that accountability and justice comes through in the case of Child Q. In seldom and red pill were three big terminologies which were used across 2022. And why? That came about through a controversial figure named Andrew Tate, the bald kickboxing champion who championed in cigarettes and lavish lifestyles in the hopes of indoctrinating young boys to believe that worth and physical material possessions were a great value of measure in how they acquired women, that the value of women were conditional to the physical possessions, which, as I'm saying them out loud, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. Andrew Tate's legacy is one that is long and hard to, to summarise, really. We saw, him on, we saw him rise on social media and we saw him removed off social media. However, then again, reinstated by Musk, Elon Musk, as he is now the founder of Twitter, but we'll get onto that one later. Now, Andrew Tate's legacy legitimised hateful and abusive and dangerous rhetoric towards women, sexist vitriol towards women. Another significant chapter in the book of Inseldom, but in the book of 2022, was the death of another controversial figure, another self-proclaimed image consultant, another self-proclaimed high-value man, who claimed to know what he was saying and doing in regards to relationship advice and relationship uh, expertise. And that man goes by the name of Kevin Samuels, a man prolific and known for his violence against black women. Reminding black women that they should never trust their children if they come to them for support against sexual assault, a demographic that is disproportionately affected by sexual assault because children lie, apparently. A man that told black women that they had no options or choices. A black man who was an unfortunate vehicle of white supremacy. His death left many things uncovered, including what it meant for the future of black women and their identity and womanhood in regards to how Kevin Samuels berated them and mocked them, but more so the future of black men, the future of the psyche of black men, as a lot of black men looked up to Kevin Samuels and saw him as a role model, as a figurehead, as someone that was sure in what they were doing, when that wasn't the case. Kevin Samuels was a figure of misogynoir, a vehicle of misogynoir, a vehicle of white supremacy, and in his death, I see hope. I see hope for black women. Maybe that's a bit too, uh, a bit too much. Possibly, maybe I don't really care. But I think it's a, it was a significant but turning table at that point in time. So moving swiftly on, we're going to travel all the way to Kurdistan. Now, on the sixteenth of September, twenty twenty-two, Masha Amini, a twenty-two-year-old woman, was arrested and brutally beaten by Iran's guidance guidance patrol or Marathi police for wearing her hijab improperly a piece of clothing that is enforced by law um, as uh, under Islam, uh, Iran's Islamic uh, penal code. In Iran, women's rights are severely restricted and a form of gender apartheid. Women must comply in Iran with uh, the Islamic Republic's mandatory hijab laws from the onset of puberty, and they are currently seen as unequal in marriage, divorce, custody, inheritance, and more. The death of Masha Amini shocked the world. 
And on her at her funeral on the 17th of September, mourners gathered and chanted women, life and freedom. Ozan Zedigi Azadi, a slogan which would go on to capture the whole nation of Iran and the world with women cutting their hair and hijabs in support. Now, women's rights in regards to the freedom of choice, freedom of movement, custody of children and the role of religion as the ruler of the state of um, uh, Iran has been previously contested through Iran's many um, civil unrest, such as the 1979 Iranian Revolution, the Constitutional Revolution of 1907, I believe, to 1911. Please correct me if I've got those dates wrong. And the Grieve Movement and the Green Movement. Women, life, freedom is a defiant call for women's rights and for the end of the oppressive Islamic State. Now, in Iran, we have see, we've seen and heard of many domestic, that is school, uni, work strikes and demonstrative protests. And we've seen international protests across the world, including Iran's football team in the World Cup refusing to sing the national anthem. Currently, there is an Iranian footballer called Amir Reza Nazar Azadani, who has currently been sentenced to execution for joining, for joining protests in November. As of this week, Iran was ousted from a UN's women's group for policies for their policies against women, of, women and girls. And currently we are seeing limited news coverage on the Iranian um, disruption that we see at the moment. However, the world's eyes are on Iran. We've seen and heard of many stories of protesters, brave protesters across the country of Iran, who have risked their safety as internet access at the moment is censored and flagged for any correspondence to do with Iran's protests. As I sit here, again, at the end of 2022, there is a lot to, to digest and the, the issue of women's rights, the right to autonomy, the right to um, bodily autonomy is one that is consistent through this year and is one that pains me to hear and to understand and to learn of especially across these borders but I sit here and I, I sit in solidarity with um, the family of Masha Armani with the women of Iran that again yes women life and freedom should come and that the Iranian government should be held to account we're going to go back to the UK now um, and look at Boris Johnson's premiership. Now, Partygate was a really significant, um, at a significant detriment to the Conservative government. And at the end, at the end of the summer, we saw over 62 record resignations from ministers, including Priti Patel, Rishi Sunak and Adim Sahawi, tender their resignations under Boris Johnson's government. As Boris Johnson clung on to power in summer 2022, he had no other choice but to resign, thankfully. This paved the way for a leadership contest, which saw, uh, yeah, which saw um, deprived deprived areas receive verbal confirmation of the systemic decline and the integrity of democracy questioned in the UK, as we currently still hear repeated calls for a general election. Now, with that leadership contest, Liz Trust was crowned the winner and was made PM with a record number of 57.4% of Tory member votes with Sunak at 46.6% of member votes. Truss's first words and campaign centred the words, we will deliver. So yeah, what was living under the Truss administration? Well, put simply, we saw the departure of devil incarnate Priti Patel and the appointment of Suella Braverman, or Cruella for short. With this, we've seen a variety of events such as Suella's security breach, where she shared government documents to, as an ex from an external um, device. 
We've seen uh, Suella fired under the Trust administration and hired under Sunak's administration. We found out Suella's new obsession for tofu and seeing the planes in Rwanda fly. Well, the airline's backed out, so I don't know who's going to be flying your plane, Suella, but that's for a different day. We found out also that in this time period, £125 million has been paid to Rwanda for their deportation scheme, which again could have been used against or used to combat the energy hikes that the UK are currently facing and a cost of living crisis, which is now seeing a homeless crisis at an absolute high and striking workers on every corner. Now, remember the migrant crisis and the immigration rhetoric that I mentioned about earlier in regards to Ukraine? Now, with Priti Patel's departure and Suella Braverman's capture, we see again the continuation of anti-immigration rhetoric being spread. In October 2022, Andrew Leake, a 66-year-old man from High Wycombe, threw three devices at Immigration Process Centre, bombing um, the venue. Now, um, this with this event, there was a delay in, in identifying um, the bomber for quite some time. There was a refusal to identify the race and the name of the individual, which to me was quite interesting. Where we've seen many terrorist attacks in the UK, it has not taken more than 24 hours for intelligence services to provide a portfolio on the assailant. But in this case, it took days for Andrew Leake's name to be made public. In a question to Suella Bravman in regards to how this, um, what her response was to this event, she called it distressing. However, again, the anti-immigration rhetoric, the anti-Muslim rhetoric that was spread at the time has still continued, with Andrew Leake being identified with someone who had and held anti-Muslim and extremist right-wing terrorist ideology. Liz Truss, remember her? The shelf life of lettuce. If anything, I've, I've learned that in this Christmas time, when I'm buying my vegetables to cook, lettuce will stay high and dry. Lettuce has got me all the way through. With Liz Truss's administration, we saw more U-turns than the driving instructor would inspect or would even accept in their own driving exam. Now, you can't say Liz Truss without mentioning Kwasi Kwarteng, or as I like to call him, Kwasi SM Kwarteng. And with Kwasi SM Kwarteng, we saw him in his role as the Chancellor of Exchequer, responsible for the financial um gosh financial security of the uk now in these 44 days we saw kwasi kwarteng announce a mini budget a mini budget would have which would have seen tax cuts costing 600 million pounds a year to the uk but more specifically his plans to abolish the 45p tax rate the 45p tax rate for those outside of the uk is an additional tax rate um tax rate Additional rate, my gosh, of tax cuts for salaries above 150000 to be taxed at 45%. That's currently um, what that is. Now, Kwasi Kwarteng's plan to cut that would mean that anyone earning over £50,000 would be taxed at 40%. Therefore, meaning that those at the higher end of the earning spectrum would be able to retain more of their income. Of course, meaning that those on lower incomes there'd be no financial difference to them. There'd, there'd still be a huge gap and disparity between social class. Now, this, of course, was controversial. On top of that, his mini-budget announced spending cuts of over £45 billion to education and local authority, therefore crashing the UK market and plummeting the pound to a value that had not been seen in, in history before. The Bank of England had to intercede with £65 billion pounds, um, in government, buying £65 billion pounds in government bonds. Um, and of course, saw the government trying to rally trust in securing the permanence of mortgages, savings and pensions. 
Now, in light of a cost of living crisis, which has been the big theme, or I'd say the buzzword for 2022, this meant, or this, in my personal opinion, was a waste of money and a waste of time and a waste of resources and a demonstration of an inept government. Out of all of these cuts that were proposed, there was nothing that, well, freezing energy bills, which again was at a, at a condition. With this, there was, there was no effort to rectify the cost of living crisis, to um, challenge the fact that energy providers were recording record profits and high energy bills, an ignorant show to the public of regard to the public. Now, with that being said, Kwasi Kwarteng handed in his resignation shortly thereafter. Following Kwasi Kwarteng's resignation, Liz Truss followed shortly thereafter with a live stream, with, a, with many live streams going on in regards to contests of who could last longer, a bowl of lettuce or a picture of Liz Truss. And in 44 days, the lettuce won. Now, with this, there are many things that came from this. Victimhood from the eyes of privilege, now, seeing a government which were willing to give more privilege to the privileged in calling for tax cuts, of course, for those who uh, don't identify or don't have empathy towards systemic inequality would see that as, as an attack on their, on their living. Of course, tax reform, which sees, um, yeah, which sees tax rates or tax rates proposed by Kwasi Kwarteng benefiting higher econo uh, economic class citizens, strikes and protests would be seen as a threat to livelihood when someone has an access or level to or or are accustomed to a level of privilege at the cost of another which is reinforced through social order the capitalist state why would one want to change their way of living now trust's resignation again was a shattering experience but even so often the even so often even so the pound value went up and the leadership race opened again with penny mordant Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson, who was on holiday, but found time to fly back to the UK, rushing back to number 10. With this being said, there are many call there were many calls and still are continued calls for a general election, as we see the legacy of democracy diminished in the UK. 2022 was a big year for information, a big year for social media, but more so when we saw Elon Musk complete his purchase of the social media platform Twitter. A platform where the hashtag MeToo and Black Lives Matter dominated social media and cancel culture as we know it took place on that platform. We saw Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter as a threat to the livelihood of information being spread freely and the value that came in community. With Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter, so far we've seen journalist accounts being banned, but in a U-turn, them being reinstated. Twitter Blue, a subscription service which is a scam quite frankly spam bots increased propaganda and polls from influential people debating with followers whether they should say de derogatory slurs on on social media will cancel culture bully elon musk outside of twitter the answer is i i i, I, I don't know and i think cancel culture as a term is something well it's controversial but i don't believe in cancel culture for what it's for Culture, cancel culture as it's veiled is one that stands for what's right in a moral imperative however in my observation and as we've seen through 2022 through the likeness of will smith we see that cancel culture only stands up for who's white now again with elon musk someone who champions freedom of speech but has removed several features from the platform such as twitter spaces what will we see of communication how will communication change in 2022 
Now, the story of Brittany Grinner was one that gripped the nations, gripped people across the world. Brittany Grinner, NBA athlete, was detained by Russian authorities in February for carrying less than a gram of cannabis oil. In August, she was sentenced to nine years in a penal state in Mordovia, a region known for its brutal prison system, with cries around the world for her release as a black woman. And with her capture in February at the peak of the Ukrainian and Russian conflict, it was seen as a political gain, as a political ploy that was taken out by Russia on Ukrainian allies such as the US to make a political political statement. Now, thankfully, Brittany Grinner was released on December 8th through the prison exchange system via the Biden administration. So Brittany Grinner was exchanged for Russian arms dealer Viktor Bout. And I'm reading just a slight quote from uh, Brittany Grinner's um, Instagram, but she shares, it's so good to be home. The last 10 months have been a battle at every turn. I dug deep to keep my faith and it was a love for so, from so many of you that helped keep me going. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for everyone. Thank you to everyone for your help. And she referenced President Biden and says, President Biden, you brought me home. and I know that you're committed to bringing back Paul Whelan, another prisoner um, who is currently uh, captured in Russia at the moment, um, and all Americans home too. I will use my platform to do whatever I can to help you. And I encourage everyone who played a part in bringing me home to continue their efforts to bring all Americans home. All families deserve to be whole. Again, I'm so happy to hear that Brittany Grinner is back home. It was a huge concern in hearing her capture in Russia. Um, but I'm sending lots of love and healing Brittany Grinner's way. On September 5th, 2022, Chris Caber was driving his Audi car, which was believed at the time to be linked to a firearms incident the day before. On September 5th, 2022, police followed him with no lights and no sirens for 15 minutes, contrary to what was originally reported at the time. This interaction cost Chris Caber his life. It was reported that after a clash with police, there was a single gunshot wound found at head level through his windshield. To date, his Rolex watch, worth over £20,000, is, is missing, and the officer responsible has not been identified, hands accountable, and is currently on duty. Now, Chris was laid to rest in November 2022 with no conviction in his murder and police brutality and ever-longing conversation in the UK with particular, with particular focus on race is ongoing. To me, this highlighted a repeat of the unjust death of Mark Duggan, another black man murdered in 2011, who was followed and executed by police, which led to the London riots of 2011. In Chris Cabber's death, there are plenty of calls for justice, plenty of calls for protest, plenty of calls to repeat what happened in 2011, since if police weren't able to understand and get the impact of their actions and, and the aftermath of, of trauma, the trauma inflicted on the black community, what else could they expect from us? If they are unable to diplomatically and empathetically understand the existence of black boys, black men, black women, black children as individuals, how else will they understand us? Now with this, like I said, there's been plenty, well, there have been plenty of um, protests and marches in Chris Caber's um, honour. And with this, this has also uh, prompted a drastic response from the police, with police at times protesting in response to national outcry, turning in their arms and threatening to leave the force. Now, to me, this ties in the power of protest and this identifies that the power of protest is significant. Protest is disruptive. 
However, as a method of disruption, this highlights that they do not understand the severity of the situation. Now, with Chris Cabra's death, of course, there's, there's been a plethora of information on top of what I've just shared already. But the lack of police action legitimizes a cycle of violence that happens against black bodies and commodifies the violence that is experienced by black people as trivial and easy to avoid accountability. Now, in following, and I would urge all of you to follow the journey and the story of Chris Cabot and the journey to get him justice. And in doing so, I would um, urge you to follow the hashtag justice for Chris Cabot, but more so the um, account, the social media account of Jefferson Boschella, who is the representative of the Cabot family. Um, recently, as of yesterday, the 16th of December, a Sky News documentary has come out um, in regards to the situation um, that has taken place with Chris Cabot in hopes of again sparking national outcry to bring his murderer to justice. Again, he was laid to rest in November 2022. He was murdered in September 2022. And as we are in December, there have been no charges brought in the murder of Chris Cabot. It's ironic because as I'm talking, the, the name George Floyd popped into my head, which as an international, on an international level, lessons haven't been learned in regards to police brutality. Now, I am just sending lots of love and healing and I will be following the journey as well with the Chris Cabba story. But I'm hoping and sincerely praying that the officer responsible and the Metropolitan Police feel the fury of the public and are pushed to hold themselves to account. Shortly after Chris Cabot's death on September 5th, Queen Elizabeth died. She died on September 9th, 2022. One thing that struck me upon news of her death was the media response and the response of people in general in regards to her death. People were so quick to offer condolences and regards, whereas news of Chris Cabot's death had only been days before. But I'd seen a limited view and a limited outpour of condolences and support. Moreover, with limited coverage and understanding around the mourning period, national mourning period of the Queen's death, which saw media outlets saturated with colonial imagery, I found it very ironic that in a time of grieving, in a time where the, the monarch and the head of colonial empire and racism, the vehicle of racism as we know it, had died, you would think that conversations around race would, would open as calls for a monarchy to be abolished that I support are called and sanctioned for. But moreover, my summarization of the last of these two events as they feed into one another in time, with time frame, I guess, is that in regards to sympathy and condolences, they lie with Chris Cabra's family and they lie with the ancestors and descendants of slaves that were under the British Empire. Matt Hancock a name that I didn't think I would have to utter out of my mouth this year. Now, for those who are international, Matt Hancock was the health secretary for the UK during the COVID-19 pandemic, but was fired for breaching his own guidelines when footage emerged of him and his fellow employee and girlfriend, Gina Collardan, whoa, Gina Collardangelo, whoa, I need to slow down there. Um, <laughs> uh, when footage of, uh, yeah, anyways, you heard that, um, of them making out was leaked to the media. Now, Matt Hancock's legacy boasts voided PPE contracts, voided air ventilators and ghost tears when the first vaccine was issued in the UK. Running away from journalists, negligence in care homes and across the country and responsibility for the death of over 200,000 people in the UK. 
Now, since his departure as health secretary, he's appeared on podcast series such as The Diary of a CEO with Stephen Bartlett, where he gave a candid interview um, citing his newfound love, reflections about his time in office and his new book deal with his turtleneck and purse-lipped. But that wasn't the end of Matt Hancock in 2022, because shortly thereafter, we saw Matt Hancock as a, announced as a contestant on I'm a Celebrity, the contestant show which celebrities compete on television for a cash sum. Is it a cash sum? I believe it's a cash sum prize and title of King or Queen of the Jungle. Now, Matt's announcement came as a controversial surprise. He neglected his constituents and he'd also... Um, yeah, and he'd also transitioned straight into the reality of ce celebrity, um, celebrityhood, celebrity life, whatever you want to call it. It was announced that he'd been paid £400,000 to appear on the show. Now, £400 roughly amounts to £2 per death in the COVID-19 crisis. £2 per 200,000 people that had died as a result of COVID-19. Now, I'm not going to admit it. I wanted to see Matt Hancock cry. I wanted to see tears of blood. I wanted to see tears of regret and anguish. And that was a sentiment at the time of the UK. I wanted to watch the man gag on his words and bull testicles. But what actually happened? I'll tell you what happened. Public opinion soon changed with people feeling sympathetic towards him. Now, this landed Matt Hancock as a in the position as a finalist on I'm a Celebrity. When quizzed again on I'm a Celebrity, um, he repeated the script. He found love. In fact, he didn't think he broke the, broke the rules and dismissed emotional concerns. And in my opinion, I think Matt Hancock was questioned a little bit too kindly. Now, the irony of his uh, involvement in I'm a Celebrity involved rinsing his hands with cold water whilst touching bird poop which as you know all of us had to sing happy birthday at our birthday sinks for a period of time to ensure that our hygiene choices were not at the detriment of our livelihoods but even so the shocking initiation of seeing him dance to the candy um, or the electric slide for those internationally coupled with this and the growing sympathy towards matt hancock we saw aggression directed at black contestants on the show all of which were actually the first to be eliminated off of the show. An irony I find, as the black contestants on the series were some of the most welcoming in the jungle. Hey, how's it going? I hope you're enjoying the episode so far, but just a quick post-show edit uh, note from me. Um, so you're currently at the bit now where I'm talking about I'm a celebrity um, and I mistakenly did not name the contestants uh, that were involved in I'm a celebrity. Um, so uh, in relation to the black contestants that were on uh, 2022's um, ITV series of I'm a celebrity, we had Baba Tunde Aleshe, uh, who placed seventh, seventh place um, in I'm a celebrity. Uh, Baba Tunde Aleshe is a comedian and presenter who you may recognise from his TV roles in shows like New Tricks, Walking Dead and EastEnders. We then have Scarlett Douglas, who placed 10th place on the show. Scarlett Douglas is a TV presenter, uh, most notably uh, seen on your screens on A Place in the Sun. And then finally, we have presenter and broadcaster Charlene White, who is best known for presenting ITV News and made history in 2014 as the first black woman to present the channel's news at 10. So yeah, just a bit of insight into who these contestants were, but I won't take too much of your time. Roll the tapes. 
Now, to me, Matt Hancock's story or redemption arc, if whatever you want to call it, rebrand, to me, speaks of white privilege and the proximity um, of whiteness to morality again and compassion. You see the theme? You see where it links? Now, Ijoma Olawu, in her book, Mediocre, The Dangerous Legacy of White Male America, she lit, she cites a deliberate constructed identity. And I reference this with regards to the deliberate constructed identity of the white man, the white cisgendered man, in rewarding negative behaviour and seeing non-white people, women and LGBTQ plus people, people who don't exist in the culture of cisgendered, heterosexual, white men, um, as punished. With this, and with white privilege and uh, the deliberate constructed identity, we see a rebrand where necessary. We see Matt Hancock given grace. We see apathy and negligence as, as a mistake, as a grace that's extended to Matt Hancock. Well, I guess you could say the same thing for Prince Andrew when he gave $10 million of taxpayer money to Virginia Dufresne in April 2022. White male privilege has been a, a sight for sore eyes in this year. But the story of Matt Hancock to me has been one that has been quite infuriating to watch and see as his story of accountability turned swiftly into one of accolade. As we end 2022, you may have heard of the story of Ngozi Fulani, the founder of Sister Space, and the story of Lady Susan Hussey. Sister Space is a woman and girls charity based in Hackney and a charity dedicated to supporting vis victims of domestic abuse, ensuring that cultural factors, race, um, as another element of intersectionality is acknowledged. In November 2022, founder Ngozi Fulani was invited to Buckingham Palace for a reception, to which she was greeted by Lady Susan Hussey in a microaggressive and racist interaction where Lady Susan Hussey quizzed her on her racial identity, her racial identity, asking, where are you really from? Now, Ngozi Fulani's uh, recollection of this stormed social media especially at a time where kate and william were on their royal tour to boston at this time lady susan hussey was immediately um fired from her well no lady susan hussey was removed from her post as lady in waiting lady in waiting to the current uh, queen consort the cause of support for ngozi fanani was shortly turned into abusive vitriol we saw threats to um her charity operations which as we see through Sister Space, specialist services are created to challenge the disparities and gaps that we see in the life outcomes for black people, people of colour, um, brown people, LGBTQ plus people, and anyone that is marginalised. And, and to accuse Sister Space of being a racist organisation, although it is not, is reductive. We saw people falling to the valour of um, Lady Susan Hussey, defending her, claiming age, as a citation to excuse the behaviour, intention as a means of justifying the actions of um, Lady Susan Hussey. Now, with this, we saw the inclusion of arguments and bombardment from uh, all sorts of people, including black women, like GBN reporter Nanakwa, reinforcing the social media harassment against Ngozi Fulani. Now, I hope immediately that in 2023, we see a better representation of black women and the alignment of progressive politics, which doesn't degrade black women. Now, with this, including exposés on Ngozi Fulani's background, this unfortunately caused Sister Space to pause all operations because of threats to their livelihood and threats to staff at Sister Space. Now, three weeks after an onslaught of social media abuse, racial abuse, verbal abuse, physical threat, 
Buckingham Palace on December 16th invited Ngozi Fulani after her recollection to have a discussion and I assume to rectify the issue that had taken place. With this, what I call a PR photo opportunity, we see a photo shared between Ngozi Fulani and Lady Susan Hussey. <clears throat> With this, the palace also issued a supporting statement of which I'll read parts of, and it goes, Lady Susan has pledged to deepen her awareness of the sensitivities involved and is grateful for the opportunity to learn more about the issues in this area. Ms. Fulani, who was unfairly received, who has unfairly received the most appalling torrent of abuse on social media and elsewhere, has accepted this apology and appreciates that no malice was intended. Now, two things here. One, the censoring of the word racism was quite prolific. To reference that as sensitivities, quite telling. There's been no lesson learned here if Lady Susan has learned anything in the age of 83. Lived more decades, I'd expect more. And secondly, the part where it says, um, appreciates that no malice was intended. Again, intention is no measure of the impact of racism. As Ngozi Fulani shared, that, it, that interaction with Lady Susan Hussey impacted her greatly. Despite Lady Susan's curiosity, if you can even call it that, it still was unacceptable. Now, with this apology, I, I, I have many questions about it because, again, although it's not my story to or apology to take on board, I find the timing of this quite significant. With Harry and Meghan's Netflix documentary at an at a all-time high and dominating social discourse at this present time, I find timing as a particular tool in this interaction. Furthermore, to, for the palace to identify the racial abuse that Ngozi Fulani had um, endured show that the palace had no means to rectify the issue outside of what Ngozi Fulani had, um, uh, you know, uh, stated. To watch the abuse, to watch and be complicit in the racial abuse, people falling blindly, again, to defend the valour of, of an institution that is racist, classist, sexist, violent, is beyond me. And again, we see this cyclical nature in the treatment of Meghan, in her time as, as a black woman, as a biracial black woman in the royal family, where we've seen in her case tabloids and abuse spewed at her with no protection from the firm that even so she is married into. With this, again, I share solidarity with Ngozi Fulani and Sister Space, um, but also want to say a big resounding fuck you <laughs> to the abusers and to the racists that had a lot to say to Ngozi Fulani over these last three weeks disgusting disgraceful and hopefully at the time of christmas and reflection i hope that you'll get a couple of cents to to put some common sense together oh yeah also in other news in other news did you guys see the clip of the um of auntie of auntie rolling and screaming and kneeling on on prince charles i don't know about you but i wouldn't want to be i'd I would rather eat bleach, drink bleach, than be seen rolling around and kneeling and screaming and jumping at the sight of Prince Charles. Are you kidding me? Auntie, please, whoever's mother that is, please, please, please speak to her. Please. This is not okay. Not acceptable. I, I don't know about you, but I like to talk in memes sometimes. But you know the bit where Monique goes, is this who we are? That's how I felt. Seeing Auntie Rose scream kneel on the floor in front of King Charles. Oh my God, is this who we are? Is this what we represent? This, anyways, let me, let me just leave that there. 
auntie, if you ever watch this podcast, if your relatives ever watch this podcast, new year, new you, new year, new mindset, new year, no more kneeling to colonial figureheads of power. Yeah. World Cup, eh? World Cup. Again, by the time that you're listening to this, this probably will, well, the World Cup would have finished because the finale is tomorrow. Qatar has been a conversation topic for many, many reasons. One, for Qatar's relationship with LGBTQ plus rights, with modern slavery and racism. Joe Lysett, the British comedian, um, uh, was a huge discussion topic at the beginning of the Qatar World Cup. Why? Because he challenged David Beckham to withdraw his partnership with Qatar in 20... I think it was 24 hours, or by the end of that week, by the end of a week, otherwise he'd shred £10,000 of his cold, hard cash. Now, the discussion and the debate of shredding £10,000 in a cost-of-living crisis was one that swept the nation. More so, and also, the moral, the moral compass of football fans going to visit Qatar, of the players visiting Qatar, but more so the celebrities that would visit the nation, as Qatar would receive a, fina- a huge financial boost in the, in the World Cup. Now, the reason why Joe Lysett challenged David Beckham to responding to his call to action um, or risk losing or risk shredding £10,000 was because of David Beckham's contract or £150 million contract to become Qatar's um, ambassador. Now, unfortunately, David Beckham didn't respond to Joe Lysett's call um, to action and to withdraw from the Qatar World Cup. Um, and Joe Lysett, unfortunately, shredded the £10,000. Or so we thought. In fact, Joe Lysa had donated the £10,000 to various LGBTQ plus charities, including Stonewall. Again, proving the, convers- proving the power of social media as a platform for communication, Elon Musk, but also as a way and means to call for action, as a way to challenge, um, you know, uh, social discourse. Because again, at, at that point in time, Joe Lysa's element of conversation had brought in to question the, mor- the morality of players, fans, celebrities and visitors that would attend. Qatar as Qatar would you know receive a financial compensation or financial reimbursement um if you will from the uh, World Cup the finale of the World Cup 2022 World Cup takes place tomorrow between France and Argentina two countries with both historic roots in racism and and discrimination with one nation being a colonizer or you know having colonizing history past and another nation having history with housing Nazi war criminals now, one critique that I've heard throughout the World Cup is, or yeah, throughout the World Cup is the diversity of France's football team. Now, France currently has the largest population of black... I'm really going to kiss this microphone. <laughs> um, France has the largest population of black people in Europe. Um, uh, and currently with the race relations in France at the moment, how will French fans react to black players on the cup? Now, I say this because, in, you know, in the 2021 World Cup, the England players, Bukayo Saka, Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford were met with an onslaught of online abuse. And I wonder, will that be the case for the black players in the event that France don't win the World Cup tomorrow? As diversity is referenced on the pitch, will that translate to society in France and Argentina? As we see Islamophobic rhetoric affecting um, Muslim women from wearing the hijab in France, can anything be taught? Well, that's a question that we'll see the end of, I guess, or we'll see at a time to be confirmed. But my roundup of the World Cup is, I guess, have I been involved? Not really. I've just been following my home nation, Ghana, but I guess made the best football team win. <laughs> I just want to quick draw a quick highlight to um, the treatment of the England players in this World Cup. Now, I did reference 2021 
the, tw- the Euro 2020s finale uh, with Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford and Bukayo Saka, uh, but with specific reference to um, the football match between France and England. Now, the treatment of Harry Kane, who missed his penalty versus the three black players, was significant, with social media accounts showing compassion and support to Harry Kane, as that was the complete opposite for um, Jaden, Marcus and um, Bakayo. Look at me doing first names. Mm. And another instance of racism that I think is quite interesting was um, the England and Iran game, where we saw England beat Iran by 6-2, a massive victory for the UK. However, out of six of those goals that were scored, five were by uh, the black football players in the team and one by Jack Grealish. However, the social media posts and media outlets showed Jack Grealish's face on the cover. Another instance of racist media, which perpetuates whiteness as the symbol of all things good and great. The, the, willing, the willingness to dismiss black efforts, but only to remind them of their efforts when they're... When, you know, the the value or the quota hasn't been quite met to the standards of whiteness. Quite telling. And then finally, like I said, there's a lot that's happened this year and I'm pretty sure I've missed quite a lot um, in, tw- in 2022. In that case, please prop them down um, below. But I want to reference one last thing and that was Kanye West's White Lives Matter t-shirt. In Paris Fashion Week of 2022, Kanye West donned the stage with Candace Owens, a right-wing commentator, with White Lives Matter t-shirts. As we know, White Lives Matter slash All Lives Matter are both counter sentiments to the Black Lives Matter um, uh, movement as a way to diminish the efforts and diminish the conversations around police brutality and racism in the lives of black people. In an interview with Tucker Carson um, and Kanye, when Kanye was asked why and what his gesture meant, Kanye describes the action of the White Lives Matter t-shirt as funny and as a feeling. And Candace Owens conversationally notes in a Spectator interview that she notes BLM as a divisive and silencing organisation and that BLM creates racism. But the question that I have is how can you create something that's already been established? In what realm does that make any sense? The White Lives Matter statement coming from two black people, again, with a white supremacist rhetoric is the doing and the bidding of white supremacy to legitimize the violence caused by white supremacy caused by police brutality against black bodies the white lives matter shirt to me was an act of violence now there have been many instances and issues that have come about and controversy surrounding Kanye west comments including his anti-semitism especially over the last few um, months but the White Lives Matter t-shirt was a staple in conversation around fashion, culture, but also race. It's been a while since um, we've touched base on the question of today's episode. But the question of where do we go from here and have we learned anything about the role of race and racism in a structural society from 2022 as we go into 2023? Well, before doing that and examining the question, you've got to look at the principle of history repeating itself. And as you listen through and you listen to all the different events and pieces that have taken place throughout 2022, I don't know about you, but you'll note certain patterns of behaviour and certain things that repeat itself over and over and over again. And some of you may be familiar with the quote, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And that's a quote by George Santayana. 
Now, I personally think that history repeats itself, and I do believe that that happens in patterns. Now, with social psychology, um, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that. Social psychology looks, well, in a general sense here, I'm talking generally, um, in part of its study, looks at the learning and understanding of behaviours in patterns. It looks at our own individual biases, which affect the way that we manage our relationships, which affect the way that we view the world, and lessons from said relationships and behaviours if we learn from these, if we learn from these lessons. Now with social psychology, with all of these elements intact and with understanding that behaviours do come in patterns, we then have cause and effect. So for example, with the migrant crisis, if we neglect the anti-immigration rhetoric and the violence exerted against or threatened against migrants um, and hate crime, we then see the manifestation of said hate crime in the case of Andrew Leake cause and effect the pattern remains the same now again a part of that social psychology also looks at how we are socialized as to exist in a society how we are brought up how as a society we are utilized to understand morality and law as it comes in itself and that means where some like myself may be pushed or may want to break the cycles that we see in racism or sexism or um, ageism or ableism or all the isms out there, some people may be socialised to not want to break these cycles, therefore perpetuating the, the hate, yeah, the hate and the harm that we see in said behaviours and in history repeating itself. So I hope that makes a little bit of sense in terms of what we're looking at. So with history repeating itself, we've got the cyclic nature of oppression, for example, in the UK, we've gone through four PMs over the last 12 years. Hey, I promise. I'm sorry. It's my last one. My last interruption. Uh, I say four prime ministers. We've actually had five. The UK have had five prime ministers. In the five prime ministers we've had, we've lived under 12 years of austerity. We have seen Sue Grace mysterious undiluted report on Partygate. We've lived under austerity. We've seen Windrush, the proposal of the British Bill of Rights, a cost of living crisis, spending cuts and the collapse of the NHS in the sixth richest economy in the world and food bank usage at an all time high. Of course, Sue Gray's mysterious and diluted report on Partygate cite a failure of leadership and judgment in number 10 and in the cabinet office. So again, just to correct my mistake there, let it be known that there were five prime ministers. Their names are and were David Cameron, Theresa May, Boris Johnson, Liz Truss and currently Rishi Sunak. Um, so yeah, just that correction from me. Um, I'll leave you to it. Enjoy the rest of the episode. We're now seeing the lowest, the highest level of unemployment in the UK, the sixth richest economy in the world in a cost of living crisis and a regressive state slowly, you know, turning into an authoritarian state. We see race relations in the UK at no point quenched and, and calmed. Mark Duggan in 2011 murdered, executed by armed police. Chris Cabba in 2022 executed and murdered by uh, police. We see, the, we see the cyclic nature of gender and human rights, bodily rights, human, um, yeah, women's rights, human rights. We see that in the case of Iran. We see that in the case of Roe v. Wade, another significant pinnacle in the, in the, in the book, in the series finale that is 2022, and in the livelihoods and the futures of women and people that can also bear children. We also have the insurgence of propaganda, the cycle of misinformation, disinformation, the saturation, AI as a tool now, which feed into the intolerance of difference, which feed into the intolerance of a difference of opinion, but more so towards equality, 
Now, these patterns and these similarities that we see in the behaviors, again, referencing what I mentioned earlier about the relationship between racism and healthcare, in calling for accountability in the action of Clemmie Hooper, and seeing the harm that she had done to many, many mothers, well, I assume because she's still in post, is doing to many mothers, black, white, of all races, but also the pattern in the neglect in healthcare and race in the case of Nicole Thea. Now, all of these patterns, as we see in behaviour, and again, the apparent failure to learn from these lessons, are what manifest in the mighty cosm that is society and has been society for the past year in 2022. Now, how do you break that cycle? Well, we have protest, we have you know, information. People, I like to say, Google is free. Google is your best friend. If you need anything, please Google it. Google it, Google it, Google it. Of course, do your source checking. But you have that. It's free. Knowledge is power. Because with these political landmark events, from what I've noticed in the past year, the unpredictable nature of them spark conversation. The unpredictable nature of them inspire action. For example, I'm inspired to sit here before you and talk about 2022 because this year has been a political landmark, you know. Um, now, how else can we break that cycle? Our choice in how we deal with these issues, with privilege, with accepting privilege as a reality in society, in accountability, in actioning that. What does accountability look like? In the case of the unnamed officer in Chris Cabba, in Chris Cabba what does that look like? What does, what does that, yeah, what does that look like? What does, what does that look like in 2023? But more so, will accountability really be addressed? How will accountability be achieved? I guess that leaves many questions in response to what I've shared. That leaves many things opened to discuss and to dissect as we enter 2023. But I guess that also concludes my, my thoughts and my reflections of 2022 as, as the season finale of, of life. I don't know. The, it's, it's just this series finale. I don't know who the writers are. The writers up there in the sky, they just need to wrap it up <laughs> because I'm quite frankly tired. Okay, I'm quite frankly tired. But all jokes aside, again, the question of where do we go from here? You've had a lot of perspectives. You've had a lot of information. You've had a lot of events and dissections from this. It's a lot to take in. Maybe listen a couple, two, three times for me. Just get the streams up. <laughs> but um, yeah, anyways, I'm joking around. Let me stop. Um, but yeah, the answer to the question of where do we go from here? You know, as we look up to 2023, have we learned anything? The answer to that question has and is yet to be confirmed. I've been your host, Shantar Senya, and thank you for joining me on the second episode of To Be Confirmed. Hey, thank you for joining us on another episode of To Be Confirmed. I hope that you feel inspired and please don't forget to like, share, comment, save and subscribe to the podcast. We'll be seeing you very, very soon with another episode at a date to be confirmed. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you for listening. Um, by the time that you have finished watching this, listening to this, you would have, this will be probably after Christmas. So just when you're reaching for day three of your leftovers, trying to figure out how to ask mum for the takeaway. Don't forget to like, share, comment and subscribe across all platforms um, with notifications on 
to be kept up to date with to be confirmed i'll put all the, again all the links will be put down below but you can find me the podcast on to be confirmed at to be confirmed on instagram at underscore to be confirmed pod on tiktok and just type in to be confirmed on your browser on spotify red circle apple and google to hear the latest and hottest podcast series whenever the next episode drops now in terms of my aspirations for 2023 i really believe that 2023 will be a great year and it's one that I'm excited to enter with all of you um in regards to my podcast and again my aspirations for the year ahead um it consists of more resistance towards injustice um and of course knowing that resilience isn't an excuse for maltreatment and oppressive policies and in light of policing bills which will threaten our rights to protest I will not be deterred and I hope that you will not be deterred and I hope that awareness grows from that as well Finally, just want to say a huge thank you again. You are going to get sick of me saying thank you for all of your support in listening to To Be Confirmed since we launched in, two, in 2022 in August. Um, I'm still pinching myself that it's been four months since we launched the podcast and we've come so far, but I believe that we'll grow bigger and bigger and bigger. So, um, so yeah, have a wonderful festive period. Um, beware of the, not quite, of the not quite racist aunts and uncles who may mutter a thing or two about diversity or better yet, the folks who'll ask you about how much food you have on your plate. To that, I don't know about you, but I used to have an auntie that used to really get on my nerves and get on my back about my weight gain. Um, and just about my, if I want to eat two plates of roast dinner on Christmas day, I'm going to fucking do it. And to that, to your relatives that have so much to say, you say back, when I see you hanging around your age mates, then we'll do a deal and we'll talk about what's on my plate. Okay? Enjoy the food. Enjoy the food. It's the time to be merry. All right? <laughs> so, yeah. Anyways, I'm talking too much now, but please comment below what dish you'll be trying. I mean, well, first of all, comment anything that I've missed in regards to 2022, what's been significant in politics, race, so society, and more. I want to hear about what meals you'll be having if if you are across the pond i want to hear about your traditional meals or christmas meals or festive meals um but i also want to hear from all of you in regards to who you want to see on the podcast because you know i want to get more guests on here collect your kaffa was just i mean collect your kaffa was just the tip of the iceberg so you know we can definitely achieve so much more on this podcast and this platform we can definitely you know I want this podcast to be the catwalk for the stars on here. So please recommend the best of the best, the topics, what you want to hear about, you know, speakers that you think are, will be viable on the podcast. Let me know. Um, but yeah, anyways, that's enough talking from me. But take care and I'll see you at the next episode at a date to be confirmed.